Thanks for downloading this week's podcast from Crossroads. We are glad you took the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can find out more information at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends. Let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Videos of our messages are also online at hope at crossroads.org. And now, Here's this week's podcast. Hey Amen. If you have your Bible, open up, if you would, to the book of Ephesians. Your Bible may actually fall open naturally to that book right now, because that has been our study over the last several uh, weeks. And uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you are here. Uh, the fact that the uh, sign says caution doesn't mean anything's going to fall over. We are in a theme about uh, trying to become disciples, and right now we're disciples under construction. And as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, we have been talking about learning to be a warrior, learning to be a warrior. I hope for you this morning it is well with your soul. I I don't know what God's doing in our church, folks, but he's on the move. And I tell you what, I sense it every week, and I'm just, uh, wow, fasten your seatbelts. I don't know what God is is going to do even even today. Ephesians chapter 6. We've been talking about uh, the armor of God over the last few weeks. Today we're going to look at two more pieces of the armor of God. Next week we'll look at two more pieces. And we're going to try to wrap up before we get into Thanksgiving and the end of the Christmas holidays. Um, we are in a spiritual war. Uh, you know, I, I think, I was talking to several friends this week, and it may be just because we've been studying this that I see it more, but the reality is whether you and I see a spiritual war going on, it's going on. Uh, I had the privilege this week, along with Corey, our ministry intern, to, uh, to uh, share with a group of pastors in uh, Michigan, quick trip up and back, and uh, this week I'll be headed to Cleveland, Tennessee, up early uh, Probably leave about 4 a.m. Thursday morning and come back right after lunch. But it was interesting to talk to a couple of those pastors at the end of that lunch and for them just to come up uh, with tears streaming down their face talking about the spiritual battle they've been in over the last 18 months. The good news is God has some tools for us in this battle that we face. The bad news is maybe sometimes we don't apply those tools to our life to help us be victorious. And oftentimes the reason I don't apply them to my life is because I uh, listen to what the enemy has to say instead of what God has to say. Maybe I'm not alone in that. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to pick up with verse 10. We read those last week, but just to get the context of what Paul is sharing with us today, let's read it together. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. I'm so glad Paul says stuff two or three times because I'm a slow South Carolina boy and I need it repeated. Repetition is helpful for me. And he says again, so you may be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Verse 14, stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth 
and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We'll stop right there this week. Last week we talked about the thing that holds all the pieces of the armor together, and that is the belt of truth. We talked about it that it's wider than the little one-inch belt that I have, but what Paul was seeing in these soldiers that he may have seen through the windows of the prison cell where he writes this letter. Their belts were very wide, and we talked about last week how truth holds everything together, and we live in a crazy world where uh, many things are called truth that are not truth. And so today we get into the breastplate of righteousness. And the interesting thing about all these pieces of armor that Paul describes is every single one of them has a specific reason and a specific purpose, but they all work together in tandem with the whole. And so the next one that he mentions to us is the breastplate of righteousness. By the way, let me just remind you and remind myself that spiritual armor is not something that we put on once in our life and we walk away. Salvation is that way, if, if you're truly converted, if you truly come to know Jesus. But putting on the full armor of God is, is a daily process. It's much like the Bible says where Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That's a daily process. I have to do that every day. Some days I do it good, some days not so much. And putting on the full armor of God is also a daily process. And just like a soldier's army or soldier's armor... You have to maintain your armor in proper condition for it to work. And you have to wear it properly for it to work. So just because it's there doesn't mean it's working. You have to maintain it properly and wear it properly. And I looked all over the church this morning for some armor. And this is the best thing that I could find. So I know it looks like a baby's bib. I was told by the children's ministry that no, this is actually a cape. So I know I should probably have it behind me and should be doing like this. But just pretend, if you will, this is the breastplate of righteousness, all right? Kind of maybe like a policeman's vest. I mentioned last week that I asked our sheriff's deputies who were here for the car and craft show what the most important part of their uniform was. And both of them said the first thing was their belt because they had their gun and their baton and their bullets and their mace and all the tools. But one of the guys quickly said the second most important thing that he had was this. What was it? Bulletproof vest. That's right. Isn't it a shame in our day and age that even is a necessity? But that's part of the uniform. And if you can kind of use that imagery, if you will, for that breastplate of righteousness, similarly for us as believers, that's part of our uniform. I hope you're wearing it this morning. So what is the breastplate of righteousness all about? We have to wear it properly. We have to make sure uh, we are applying it properly. It's important, by the way. I'll not distract you by wearing that the rest of the sermon. But it's important to note that in, in Jewish times... When they talked about the breastplate, and in Jewish culture, many times, and I'll give you some examples in just a minute, when they talked about uh, when they talked about the uh, the armor of God, or when they talked about themselves, their physical bodies, when they talked about their emotions and their feelings, for example, they talked about it in terms of their vital organs. Right here are all your vital organs physically. I can walk out here and I can get mauled by. A bear. I don't think we have any bears in Greer, but maybe. And it can take my hand off. I can still live without my hand. But these vital organs right here, if they're affected, it does serious damage 
to my physical life. And I just want to share with you, dear church family, that these are the vital organs, spiritually speaking, we're going to talk about today, that if we don't protect these vital organs, it will affect your spiritual life. So what is the breastplate of righteousness? Well, in Jewish culture, they often describe their emotions and feelings in terms of their vital organs. For example, there's a Hebrew word uh, called resham, which it's translated compassion, or it may be translated in some places as tender mercies. Uh, David mentions this in Psalm 69. Literally, it's the word bowels. Bowels. The heart sometimes was used to symbolize the seat of the will or volition, where the ability to make decisions and, and understand choices. The Hebrew word for kidneys, for example, is translated in the King James Version as reins, or in the New American Standard as mind or inner man, so that you really know what's being referred to. So just let me give you for sake of time this morning one example. Proverbs twenty three sixteen. If you want to flip backwards to the middle of your Bible, you can look at it real quickly. In my New American Standard translation, Proverbs twenty three sixteen says this. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. But literally... The way the Jewish culture would read that verse is this way. My son, if you're wise, my own heart will be glad and my kidneys will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Boy, there's a love letter for you, right, guys? Take notes. Take notes. But that's literally the way the Jewish culture would talk about things because they often referred to this inner, their inner being when they would talk about emotions and mind and will. Now in the 21st century, in our wonderful English vernacular, we talk about the mind and the heart, and we have all these different things. In Jewish culture, they would talk about it all as if it came from the center of who they were. And so this breastplate of righteousness that Paul is talking about is very important. Why? Because he's talking about protecting not your chest, not just your heart, but he's talking about protecting your mind, emotion, and your will, which I would say are the vital organs to the spiritual life. Think about it. Your mind, emotions, and will. How often do those three things control you, control me, and determine what we do spiritually? A lot of the time. A lot of the time. So if we don't wear the breastplate of righteousness and protect those, we can get in tremendous trouble. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter, when we went through the book of 1 Peter together as a church, you might remember, uh, Peter said it this way, Gird your minds. And if you study the language there, he's actually not talking about so much what we think of mind. That's a part of it. But he's talking about the innermost all of you. Gird your minds for action. Stay vigilant. Because he said the devil is prowling about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And too often we fall into the devil's traps because our decisions are based on how we feel at the moment rather than what is right or wrong. Church family, I just got to be honest. I think... A very guilty party of that is not so much people out there, but it's sometimes people within the walls of the church. And we make judgment calls sometimes. 
And sometimes our judgment is based on our perception, and sometimes our perception or our perspective is not exactly right. I've told, told you this story, I think, before of a guy who's preaching at a big crusade, and the crowd was responding, but he kept getting distracted because there was two men that were talking back and forth during the whole, during the whole crusade. And at the end of the crusade, people lined up to shake the pastor's hand and say, thank you, well done. And as the line continued to go, here are these two guys in the line, and they get to him, and one man says to the pastor, wow, thank you so much for that message, you really really encourage my friend you encourage my friend and the preacher looked at him and said well I'm not really sure how you he could be encouraged too much you two guys were talking during the whole during the whole service and when the other guy began to speak he realized he didn't even speak English the friend was translating the entire sermon for him as the sermon was happening so he would understand what God is doing but his perception was wrong and we have to be careful because we make decisions oftentimes by, the, by what we see. And sometimes what we see is not actually what's happening. And so Paul is telling you and telling me, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Don't assume. Don't make decisions by the way you feel, by the way things seem. So how can we protect ourselves with this breastplate of righteousness? Very quickly, three things that I will share with you how we protect ourselves. Here's the first one. The first one, we have to remind ourselves about the truth of our salvation. When we receive Christ as our Savior by faith, we enter into this position of righteousness before God. Paul says it this way in another letter in Philippians chapter 3. He says, be found in him not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God. He said it this way, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He made no sin, who knew no sin, he made to become sin that we might become his righteousness. Our friend Chris Tomlin even wrote a song about it called Jesus Messiah. That is the symbol of Jesus wearing the breastplate of righteousness. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you look in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah says it this way, he, Jesus Put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. So this breastplate of righteousness that you and I wear should remind us about the truth of our salvation. I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I feel unworthy. Sometimes the devil likes to play mind games with me and get into my emotions. I know sometimes we like to think that's all, that, that always happens with the ladies, but it happens to the guys too. Guys... Our mind gets messed with the enemy, and maybe the enemy chooses for women to mess with our emotions. But he chooses us to believe things that aren't true, to doubt things that aren't true. And that inner part of us, not just so much here, but that inner part of us, the mind, will, and emotions that Paul is talking about here, are not protected by the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness reminds us the truth about who we are, the truth of our salvation. There's nothing that we could do to earn the righteousness of Christ. It's only because he who became sin knew no sin. Second thing it reminds us of is the power of prayer. There's not a uh, day that goes by with all the messages that we hear in our world trying to get it our mind and our heart, where we don't need to put this on and pray to Almighty God, protect our mind, protect our will, protect our emotions, because if we respond the way the world wants us to respond, we will respond incorrectly. And it even happens, dear friends, in church life. 
And part of what Paul talked about was a tool for us to be a warrior and to overcome in life. And earlier in his book, if you remember, was one of the things he talked about was unity. And the thing that he said was maintain unity, not create unity. We don't create unity, only God creates unity. But we maintain unity. And one of the ways that we maintain unity is wearing the breastplate of righteousness. And not believing false things about one another or things that aren't true about one another. And that's where the devil plays mind games. Can I be really transparent with you this morning? You could all come up at the end of the service. Please don't do this. But you could all come up at the end of the service and say, Pastor Jack, what a great sermon that was. That was fantastic. That spoke to me. But there might be one voice among you, or there might be one voice called the devil on the ride home that may tell me that was the worst sermon you've ever preached in your life. And you know whose voice is going to ring the loudest? Don't look at me like that. The devil talks to you the same way. So how do I, how do I overcome that? You know how I overcome it? I put on the breastplate of righteousness and say, that's not who God says I am. God says I'm holy, adopted, blameless, beyond reproach. I'm an heir of Christ Jesus. And see, I think a lot of times we respond in the flesh and we respond out of our emotion because we try to make ourselves on a higher pedestal when we are maybe criticized or maybe someone speaks ill will or maybe someone speaks negatively or they disagree. Or maybe we misunderstand because our perception is wrong that that's not even what happened. But we have our own perception of what happened. So be very, very careful. The other thing the breastplate of righteousness will do is remind us how to deal with sin. See, most of us will accept the fact that because Jesus came on the cross and he gave himself for us, that we are positioned in righteousness. Most of us will gladly say, well, obviously, I, I, that's one of the great things about being a Christian. Positionally, I have a position of righteousness. But there's also the thing that we have to do as Christians, and that is the practice of righteousness. Whew, that's a little bit harder, isn't it? Or is it just for me? And what wearing the breastplate of righteousness will remind us is, of is how we deal with sin. Our positional righteousness means, as we just sung one of those great hymns, that when the roll is caught up yonder and it will be well with my soul, and when heaven's great triumph happens, we'll be there. Those of us that know him, that's great, and that's awesome, and that's true. And most of us know that positionally, that we will be in that spot because we win the war. But the practical righteousness that Paul is talking about here is how we win or lose the daily battles of life. Because some of us, hopefully, have many years left before we do cross the river and we're standing in glory and we're with the Lord. So the position of righteousness, is this making sense this morning, is great, but we have to practically apply this breastplate of righteousness to our lives in how we live. Practically, how we live out our faith. Because if you fail to live out your righteousness, you will become an easy target for the enemy. Now, I, I know in our culture, and I hear this all the time, and I even hear this from some other quote-unquote pastors, even though they're wrong. And that is that God's already done everything He needs to do, and you don't need to do anything. You need to read the whole Bible. I don't have to do anything else when it comes to my salvation, but God has a job for me to do if I'm breathing. 
And his job is for me to learn how to be able to practice righteous living, not because of anything I bring to the table, but because of what the Holy Spirit through me can do, which is another tool to being victorious and learning to be a warrior. I saw a great quote this week that said this, Grace is not an enemy of effort. Grace is an enemy of earning. God's grace that makes us righteous takes away any futile effort that we could try to achieve to earn God's salvation. We can't do it. But it doesn't mean that we don't make an effort to strive to live in righteous living. You say, Jack, what are you saying? I'm giving you the definition of discipleship, which comes from the root word discipline, which I don't like, and your kids don't like, and you didn't like as a kid either. But part of discipline is learning to do things correctly and righteous living. That's discipleship. And so those are all the great things that the breastplate of righteousness reminds us of. Now, let me answer this question for you this morning. How does that work out practically? How does, how does that work tomorrow morning? Three quick ways I'll give you as I thought about it this week. The first one is in our temptations. Because oftentimes the enemy will try to pull off this breastplate of righteousness and get us to respond by the way we feel. Well, I deserve that. I've earned that. That won't really hurt anybody. It'll only just hurt me. And we start to respond with our feelings, our emotions, and temptation. Persecution is another one. Maybe we take out our anger on flesh and people. And Paul was crystal clear all throughout his letters, but especially even in this chapter, in the earlier verses we read this morning, that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the powers and principalities, the demons and rulers of the spiritual places. So I have to practically, when somebody uh, cuts me off in traffic on Woodruff Road and I want to give them a piece of my mind that I can't afford to give, I have to respond the way Jesus would have me respond. Here's another one, contentment. This is a big one, I think, in our world that I thought of this week. Contentment. Wearing the breastplate of righteousness will change our behavior when it comes to contentment. We won't have to worry so much about looking out for number one, keeping up with the Joneses. Why? Because we know where our place is, and our place is found in the Lord Jesus. So the breastplate of righteousness is our protection against Satan's devices when he tries to deceive us through our emotions and our false beliefs. Now, I've got some volunteers, ladies, come on up because the uh, Bible continues to tell us, take your time, hurry up. <laughs> the Bible continues, ten, continues to tell us there's more uh, pieces of the armor that we need to wear, this breastplate of righteousness, but then... All right, I was hoping for something fashionable. But then he talks about shodding your feet, he says, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So we have some, come on out here in the front so they can see you. We have some models here this morning that are modeling their shoes. We got some high top, I'm not even going to try to call them because ladies will call me out. I don't even know what you call those, but they're nice, they're fancy. Um, We have some basic uh, sneakers here, tennis shoes here. Anything fancy about these you guys want to point out about your shoes? This morning? They all have shoes on this morning. Will, do you have on shoes this morning? No, okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> didn't it, that's why I didn't call you up here. I knew you had on flip flops. They have on their shoes this morning. And shoes are important. Shoes are very important. They're wrapped around their feet, right? Thank you, ladies. You guys can have a seat. Thank you. Can you give them a big hand this morning for volunteering? <laughs> shoes are important. 
When we read this, we don't really think about the importance of shoes, especially if you like to wear flip-flops a lot. But the purpose of having the proper foot gear, not only as a soldier, and we're going to find out in a minute, as a spiritual soldier, but as a physical soldier, having the proper foot gear was very evident for anybody contemplating going into battle. Why? Because when Paul was writing this letter, all of the soldiers in the Bible were what? Foot soldiers. There were no tanks. There were no jeeps. They're walking everywhere they're going. They're foot soldiers in the army of the Lord. So why in the world is this important? Why does Paul make an emphasis? Why in the world would Paul start talking about shoes? Something as meaningless as we think about shoes. Now, socks on the other hand, ladies, take note, socks, all right, socks are good. Shoes are more important than even socks. And we need shoes for two very important reasons. Here's the first one. We need shoes for protection. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. Growing up in Roebuck, one of the greatest towns and communities in South Carolina, where history was made, the birth of Heath Carruth. Over in Roebuck, I mean, we we would go outside and we would go running. You didn't go running without shoes on. I did one time. And when I stepped on a rock and this big purple and blue whelp developed on the heel of my foot, I was like, never again. I learned that lesson. Shoes are so very important for protection, but they're also important for stability. Notice in those verses prior to these verses, we, just, we read these this morning. Paul says about two or three times, stand firm, stand firm. And while you're doing this, stand firm. How can you stand firm if you don't have on shoes? It didn't happen this past year. And I didn't talk about it, but word got out that a couple years ago, or I guess before COVID, when I was in Malawi, Africa, they took us to this waterfall. And I thought I was going to walk across the waterfall. And I started across the waterfall, which was a significant drop, and slipped and was grasping the side of this edge of this rock. Lauren, my daughter, was with me. And of course, she was freaking out, as was everybody. And as we do as men, I kind of pulled myself up and just acted like... I planned that. I planned that. I planned that. Even though I didn't. And one of the reasons that I slipped is, as I looked at the soles of my feet, they were as slick as a piece of glass. So you and I can have on shoes, but if we don't have on the right kind of shoes that will bring us the protection and stability that we need, we're going to be in trouble. So why in the world is Paul talking about shoes? What is this gospel of peace that he's talking about? It's very important. The Greek word here, if you want a quick Greek lesson, is preparation or readiness. It can also be translated prepared foundation. So the gospel of peace, the shoes of the gospel of peace that he's talking about, are the foundation that allow you and I as a warrior in the Lord's army to stand firm. That's how we're able to be true in In spiritual battle, just as the soldiers in that day were able to be true in physical battle, they had on shoes. And some of them were sandal-like, but they were laced up almost up under their knee because they didn't want them coming off in a battle. I mean, how how sad would that be if you're out there fighting somebody and all of a sudden your shoe slips? Excuse me just a minute, i got to tie my shoe and put my shoe back up. I mean, that's not going to happen. What a chance for the enemy just to go, you're done. So shoes were so important. Reminds me of another great hymn, like some that we sung this morning, a hymn, How Firm a Foundation. 
How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say than to you he hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled? Are you standing this morning? Do you have on the shoes of the gospel of peace? Why, why are we able to stand? What is, what is Paul saying here when he talks about having shod your feet? I love that word, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Why can we stand? The first reason we can stand is because Paul is challenging us to remember what our evil record was. And we read about that in, in Ephesians chapter 2. We read about the before picture, before we went to the gym and worked out, and we did all the diets, and we did all the workout, and we did all the lifting weights, and then after, after we accepted Christ, what we look like now, we're holy, adopted, blameless, righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We can stand only because of that. That's the only way you and I can stand this morning. I bring nothing to the table when I come to stand before the presence of Jesus. There's no accolades, there's no accomplishments, there's no achievements. I simply stand firm because of the breastplate of righteousness and the ultimate righteousness, which is the blood of Jesus Christ in my life. So I have to remember that because it's that record, God's solution to that record, that brings about peace with God. The second thing, though, is God's remedy is there. That's how I can stand. So I not only have peace with God, because of the righteousness that I have received from Jesus. But I also have the peace of God. Let me ask you a question this morning, church family. Do you have the peace of God? Because they're different. By salvation, I've received peace with God. But I can go out here in the world, and the world, if it gets behind the breastplate of righteousness, and gets at my emotion, and my mind, and my will, and I get rid of that, and I listen to the world, all of a sudden, the peace that God provides me to walk every day is gone. And I don't have the peace of God. I still, does this make sense? I still have the peace with God, but I don't have the peace of God. That's very concerning to me because I see a lot of believers around the world who are living, who I know know Jesus. I know they're saved. I know they're going to heaven. And I know they have peace with God, but their life is in turmoil because they don't have the peace of God. I know it looks like, and I say this often, I know it looks like our world is coming unglued at the hinges. I know it looks that way. I'm not saying I'm not concerned. You can be concerned and you can also have the peace of God. If you don't have the peace of God, your concern will overwhelm you and you will be unproductive as a soldier in the army of God. And that's the worst place to be, is to be a soldier who has all the tools and all the armor that's kind of laid out and God is saying, just put it on and you can be victorious. And for you and I, just, uh, I don't need it today. I don't need it today. So the gospel of peace that he's talking about is so important. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 10, verse 15. He says, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel. And there's a world out there that needs to know both peace with God and peace of God. I, I, I'm just of the opinion that it may be, the, the turning point may be, the switch may be for the world seeing the peace of God in those of us who say we know Jesus before they surrender to the peace with God, if that makes sense. Because if they look at some believers and the turmoil in our lives 
and they're looking for peace, but they don't see the peace of God, then they probably say, why would I want peace with that God? Because your life is still in turmoil. So what Paul is talking about here is so important. All these pieces of the armor are so important. And when you have that peace, by the way, you'll have peace with others. You'll have peace with other believers. And believe it or not, you'll have peace with non-believers. Because you and I will start to see non-believers as not the enemy, as not a project, as not somebody we're trying to win to the other side. We will see them the way God sees them, that they are loved, but they're lost, and they are doomed if they don't understand who Jesus is and apply His righteousness to their life. And we'll also have peace during the crazy circumstances of life. We will have peace in our hearts. And I just want to throw this out to you because I jotted this in my notes this morning. Concern is okay. Worry is past concern. And the peace of God cannot live where worry lives. I don't know about you, but there's many times during the course of my day where I have to make an exchange. And I have to say, God, I have maybe crossed the line from concern into worrying about things I have no control over. That only the God creator of the world could actually change what's going on there. And I have crossed into worry. And I, right now, I'm exchanging my worry for the peace that you bring. And maybe you come here this morning and you find yourself in that spot. Maybe you're saying, Jack, how in the world can I apply this breastplate of righteousness? How in the world can I apply this gospel of peace? Well, there's a couple of things you have to do. First of all, you have to realize that you need a relationship with the author of peace. And Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians, that God is not an author of confusion, but he is the author of peace. And if you're looking for peace today, maybe your world is all confused and you're looking for peace today, I've got good news. You've come to the right place. Maybe you are a child of God this morning, but you're still looking for peace. You say, Jack, how, how do I how do I daily put on the breastplate of righteousness and how do I put on the gospel of the shoes of peace the same way? You have to keep your attention and I have to keep my attention on the Prince of Peace. Because he's the only one that can offer that peace to you And to me, Isaiah says it this way, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Is your mind on the Lord Jesus today? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the tools that you have given us to be able to fight in this crazy world in which we live. And to be a warrior for you that is victorious Lord, that you did not leave us out there on our own, but you gave us tools to equip us and to help us to be victorious in this Christian life. And so I pray for my friends today, Lord, as you speak to our hearts, that we would respond in obedience to you this morning. Maybe there's somebody here today who needs to receive the hope of Jesus for the first time and receive the righteousness of Christ for the first time. I pray today that they would do business with you. Church family, as you're praying this morning, I don't, I don't know what the Lord said to you today, but I would just humbly ask that you just be obedient to whatever it is. It may be that you need to come down front and grab the hand of a friend. It may need, be that you need to just pray where you're seated or where you're standing. It may be today that you're here, you don't know the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have peace with God. And then that would be the place to start. Lord, I pray that you would 
be honored during this time of invitation. And we give it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you in just a second if you would to stand with me. Joey's going to lead us in a, a song of invitation. And you respond as God leads you. If you'd like to be a part of our church family today, you just simply come down. Say, hey, I'd like to put my roots right here at Crossroads. Then you can do that this morning. Would you stand and let's sing together? We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message from Crossroads. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. The last year has been one of chaos and confusion, and we know many have become isolated and lonely. You can get Pastor Jack's new book, The Loneliness Solution, Finding Meaningful Connection in a Disconnected World, a great resource that will help you or you can give to a friend who might be struggling. This resource is also available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.